Uh, if you would, uh, turn with me to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45 this morning. Uh, I want to read several verses from the 45th chapter of the prophecy of Isaiah. I'll begin with verse 14, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter if you want to uh, uh, follow along as I read from my Bible, follow along in your Bible. Uh, before we even read, I'll tell you, uh, I put a title on the message this morning. Uh, perhaps it can be useful to you uh, to help you remember the things that we considered this Lord's Day. And the title that I have given to the message this morning is God's Great and Gracious Salvation. God's Great and Gracious Salvation. <clears throat> so you listen uh, and follow along in your Bibles as we read here from Isaiah chapter 45, beginning with verse 14. Thus says the Lord, The wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over to you and be yours. They shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you, saying, Surely God is in you, and there is no other, no God besides Him. Truly, you are a God who hides Himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. All of them are put to shame and confounded. The makers of idols go in confusion together. But Israel... Israel is saved by the Lord. Israel. Uh, we want to read that with the understanding that, that Israel there is not just the nation of Israel. This is God's people. All of God's people. The true Israel. God's people. And so he said, but Israel <coughs> is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation you shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity for thus says the lord who created the heavens he is god who formed the earth and made it he established it he did not create it empty he found, formed it to be inhabited i am the lord and there is no other I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Our hearts this morning should be tremendously burdened that there are multitudes about us doing that very thing. Praying to a God who cannot say. Or oh, they may not be looking at some carved image or something like that, but everybody's got a God. Even in the worldings have a God, even if it just be themselves, depending upon themselves, looking to themselves uh, for security. And so, uh, praying to a God that cannot save. How futile, how empty, how vain is that effort. Verse 21, declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together who told this long ago. Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. 
By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me are righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be, and, and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. God's great and gracious salvation. Oh, how I pray this morning that as we uh, embark on this study, uh, that God will bless our time and make it a blessing to us as we uh, leave here later today uh, with a word from God in our hearts about His great and gracious salvation. We need to bow before the Lord again in prayer and ask God to graciously uh, be present, make His presence known, speak to our hearts this morning. I, I don't know about you, but I, uh, I have all morning long had a real longing in my heart to hear the voice of God. I need that. I need to hear God speak to me. And I suspect that, that you do as well. And so I think that we can, uh, as we pray, ask Him to do so, because I believe that is one thing that we can rest assured is God's will. And we can pray according to God's will. Therefore, God, speak to us. Would you bow with me as we pray? Our dear Father, we thank you. <clears throat> thank you for the day you've given us, the, the time to once again come together to worship you, to uh, seek to uplift the name of Christ in, in our midst, praying that as we do so, uh, he'll do exactly what he said when he, he declared, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would draw, draw lost souls to you. Oh, Father, uh, perhaps there will be some who are yet strangers to your grace uh, who uh, might even, with the message being recorded and, and available later, Lord, that there might be some that are lost who would hear. And, and, and see Christ uplifted and, and be drawn to him. Oh, Father, we, we thank you. Thank you for your word. We do pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. Make your word a living and powerful word in our hearing. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, last week we, uh, we talked a little bit about the different things that... Uh, we have an opportunity to study uh, as we uh, are all students uh, in some degree or another, some sort of another, I suppose. We talked about the fact that we can study anthropology. And some of us at least know what that is. Anthropology is a study of man, is it not? And uh, there are anthropologists. There are people who give their life to the study, the studying of man or mankind and, and all. And then, of course, there is theology, which is the study of God. And I might just add, uh, that's where we really need to begin in all of our studies. We need to begin with a study of God because until we study God as He's revealing Himself to us in His Word and come to see Him as He is, uh, all of our study of man uh, will be distorted and perverted uh, because of our old, carnal, fleshly, sinful nature. 
Uh, it's only when we see God as He is that we'll be able to see ourselves as God sees us in our sin and therefore see our need for what only God can do uh, to reconcile us unto Himself. And then we talked about the fact that there are other things that we study as well, like eschatology, which is the study of end times. But there is also another study that is of major, major importance uh, to me and should be to all of us, and that is what is referred to as soteriology. That is the study of salvation. The study of salvation. There is perhaps no greater need in my life or your life or any of our lives than to understand what salvation is. What salvation is. What's, what's involved in salvation and, and what it means when we come to an understanding and, and are embraced by what is revealed to us in our study of salvation. And so this morning we want to just uh, go on and uh, consider this great and gracious salvation of the Lord our God. Uh, it is so important that we consider these things together. And I trust that God will enable us to do that and make it a blessing to us this morning as we do so. Uh, do we really know what it is? Do we really know what salvation is and, and where it comes from? Uh, I fear... And, uh, and I think my fear is justified by what I see uh, so predominant in religious, even professing Christian circles today. Uh, and, I, and I sometimes listen, you know, whether it be on the TV, uh, on YouTube or whatever, to uh, some men uh, who call themselves preachers of the gospel, some of the things that they're preaching, some of the things they're proclaiming, some of the things they're saying it makes me have a great fear in my heart that there are multitudes, multitudes of people sitting Lord's Day after Lord's Day under the ministry, if we can even call it that, of, uh, of men who are so supposedly preaching the gospel and yet it's nothing less than the blind leading the blind. Uh, uh, so easy to see if, if we know anything at all about the salvation of the Lord as it's revealed in the Word of God that what multitudes are hearing today falls so far short of what salvation really is. Uh, so we need, we need to know what it is, Ed, and we need to know where it comes from and, and why it's so terribly important in all of our lives. Uh, uh, Biblically speaking, and, uh, and that's what's important, is it not? What the Bible says. And so we want to approach this, this matter of the subject of salvation or soteriology in our study of it, you know, basing our study upon God's Word, what God Himself has to say about it. And biblically speaking, salvation is, uh, is indeed a great work of God that encompasses or it uh, encircles or it contains uh, a lot of other things, a lot of other works, if you will, of God that together combine to form what salvation, as it's revealed in the Word of God, really is. Let me seek to kind of illustrate uh, for you, if I can, uh, what I mean by that. Uh, probably most of us, as do most 
people, most adults at least, and a lot of young people. Uh, you know, we get up in the morning and we uh, and we go about our preparing for the day, and and after we've had our morning meal or whatever, and uh, brushed our teeth and uh, and all, we we get properly attired and we go out and get in our vehicle and we head off for somewhere, whether it be to school or to work or whatever. And so many of us, we get in that car or vehicle and, and we reach down there and we turn the key or if you've got a newer vehicle, you push a button, I guess, anymore uh, to start the, the engine in the vehicle. And you, uh, you hear it start up and you put it in gear and you drive off without giving any thought at all as to what's taking place that enables you to do that, actually drive off in that vehicle. Well, you know, uh, all of us know that, uh, that you got a motor in the car, don't you? you got a motor in there. But most of us, that's all we really know about it. We don't know much more about it. Uh, but you let a mechanic, somebody that is a mechanic and has done a great deal of working on an internal combustion engine like most of our vehicles uh, have, uh, when he gets in his vehicle, he probably thinks about a lot of things that most of us don't think about. Uh, he thinks about the fact that uh, that motor that's under the hood of the vehicle, you know, it has cylinders. And not only does it have cylinders, it has pistons. It has a crankshaft. It has connecting rod. It has a cylinder head. It has a camshaft. It has valves. And, well, we could go on and on and on. It has a rocker arm. It has a crankcase. It has an oil pump. It has spark plugs. All of those things that make that motor what it has to be if it's going to do what it's supposed to do. Uh, and then, you know, of course, you've got to have fuel in the gas tank, don't you? Got to have fuel in the gas tank. But then that fuel has got to be ignited by something. Now, most of us don't think about these things at all, do we? when we get in our vehicle and take off to go somewhere, and yet they are absolutely important, every one of them. That motor would not run and therefore would not take us anywhere were it not for each and every one of these parts doing their part to make the motor what it's supposed to be. Uh, that's what salvation really is. All the parts have got to be in place. It is a great work of God that is made up of many works of God in order for salvation to be the biblical salvation that we read about in the Scripture. And uh, perhaps we'll get to later talking about some of those different works of God that make up uh, the matter of salvation. But... Uh, what I want to impress upon us this morning, what we need to see and understand is, is that salvation, as Spurgeon once said, and, and even entitled one of his books, all of grace, all of grace. Uh, this salvation in the scripture is a salvation that is all of grace. Uh, we, we know that the scripture tells us in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2 and verse 8, a very familiar verse to most of us, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now then, what does he mean by that? What does Paul mean by that, not of works? Uh, I was thinking about this, and it reminded me of a couple of Wednesday evenings ago, a few, a few Wednesday evenings ago, as we had all the young people together 
as we do every other week on Wednesday for a meal and just a time of uh, discussing God's Word and asking questions and having questions answered. Uh, Justin brought up something in, as he was leading us that Wednesday evening, and he said, uh, uh, are we saved by works? Are we saved by works? Well, most of us, our minds immediately went to the fact, no, no, we're not saved by works because, you know, the verse we just read there, or I quoted from Ephesians 2, says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it is true, we are not saved by our works. But we are just the same saved by works. Not our own, but His work. His work beginning to end. From the subject of election as it's revealed in the Word of God, all the way through to glory, or our being glorified for all of eternity to be in the presence of God, uh, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Every bit of it, beginning to end, start to finish, is all of grace. It is all by works, but not our own. Not our own. His work. Salvation. Salvation is by the working of God in the hearts and lives of poor lost sinners like all of us. Jonah learned that lesson, didn't he? Jonah learned that lesson. He was pitched off that ship in, in the troubled sea in the storm after confessing to the mariners that he was probably the reason for all that taking place because he was running from God. So they pitched him overboard and, and he was perhaps uh, on the verge of drowning. But uh, God provided a great fish to save him from drowning to save him from drowning. And after the encounter, uh, he was uh, deposited back on dry land by that great fish, I'm assuming. And uh, what did he say? Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. He didn't take any credit at all for it, did he? He knew he didn't have anything to do with it. God did it. God provided for him a place of refuge and safety from drowning in that great fish. Now then, we don't understand all that took place there and what that fish was really like, but we know that whatever God did, it worked, didn't it? It worked for Jonah. Just like those uh, who were brought into the ark were secured from the great flood were in every other living creature died but Noah and his family uh, a place of safety that God provided uh, that God provided well uh, there are certainly some questions as we consider the subject of salvation that we we need to, to consider we need to think about uh, as we consider what salvation is and, and where it comes from there are questions like uh, why do we need it? Why do we need salvation? Why do we need to be saved? Uh, secondly, we need, to, we need to ask, what is it that we need to be saved from? If we need to be saved, what do we need to be saved from? And then we need to also be able to answer the question, why is it? Why is it that we cannot save ourselves? Why is that? 
Well, we want to think about those things. We may not get to all of them this morning, and there again we may, I don't know, but, uh, but we'll begin with that first question. Why do we need salvation? Why do we need it? Uh, I was thinking about this and uh, uh, thinking about something that a man by the name of Philip, Philip Ryken said in a book that I read several years ago where he was on the subject of salvation and uh, in thinking about why men need salvation, he, he says, we got a problem. That's what Riken said to him, we got a problem. <laughs> and I was thinking about what he said and thinking about what we've all been dealing with for months on end, it seems like now, uh, in this nation and folks have all throughout the, the world on the face of the earth with this virus, this COVID thing. And, uh, I mean, it's been a problem, hasn't it? It's been a problem, uh, you know, in one way or another for every one of us, having to wear a mask, you know. And now, you know, the push for, for vaccines and all this, whether, you, whether you're for it or against it or whatever, that's beside the point. It's been a problem. It's been a problem for all of us. But as great a problem as this COVID 19 has been, and, and all of these variations of it that are springing forth now, as great a problem as these things are to all of us, it fails miserably and pales terribly in comparison to another problem. Another problem. And that's the problem of sin. The problem of sin in our hearts and in our lives having a sinful nature that alienates us from God, separates us from God, and brings us under the condemnation of God, I might add, uh, all because uh, of what happened all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Most of us are familiar with the story of Adam and Eve and how they were in the Garden, and my goodness, uh, in paradise, everything they could have ever hoped for or dreamed for was was there so in 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 plenty they had no needs they had no concerns they had nothing to worry about they didn't even know what it was to worry they didn't know what it was to worry they didn't know what it was to not feel good none of these things everything was perfect for them there in the garden of eden and god had told them you know you're free to eat of any tree in the midst of the garden except for one except for one in the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day you shall surely die. Well, we know what happened, don't we? The devil. Satan came along in the form of a serpent. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, folks, Adam and Eve, were, were not afraid of serpents like some of us tend to be today because... Uh, uh, there was no evil. There was nothing to be afraid of at the time there in the Garden of Eden. And so this serpent then, uh, the devil who came in the form of the serpent, he began to raise some questions in, in their minds as he was speaking to Eve and uh, deceived her, deceived her. Told her some lies, some things that were so contrary to what God had, had spoken to them. And so Eve took of the fruit and also gave to her husband Adam and they ate of the free fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and in that day they died they died to God they were cut off from God they were separated from God 
Oh, they didn't die physically right at the time, but physical death was even a result of that, wasn't it? There would have been no death. Would have been no death had they not disobeyed and rebelled against God. But they did. And so a problem existed from, for them from that point on. And the problem has been handed down all through the ages. All through the ages. And we come into this world, you and I, with the same problem. We come into this world with a sinful nature that we inherited from a rebellious Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Paul says in Romans 5, 12, Wherefore by one man sin and into the world and death by sin, so death has passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Every one of us. Every one of us have sinned against God. And so why do we need salvation? It's because we are sinful. We are sinful. We have talked so often about uh, uh, what Isaiah experienced back in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, where it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And about, uh, about the throne that God set upon, there were these angelic creatures called seraphim. And what were they doing? They were crying out day and night, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah saw the Lord, and he saw that he was holy, that he was absolutely sinless, that he was pure, that there was no darkness in him. He was holy. And then you remember what Isaiah said? Immediately, having seen God in his holiness, Isaiah said, Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Uh, his heart, he saw to be sinful in the eyes of God. God is holy even as I, Isaiah saw him to be holy. And we are not holy. We are not holy. We are sinful. Our iniquity, which is the absence of holiness, brings us under the condemnation of a righteous and holy God. God demands holiness. Be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Peter is quoting from the book of Leviticus. Be holy, for I am holy. The apostle in Hebrews tells us that without holiness, no man. And by the way, that means women and children as well. No man shall see the Lord without holiness. Without holiness. Yes, we have a problem. When we come into this world, we have a problem. We are alienated from God, separated from God, cut off from God, dead to God in need, desperate need of something, something to take place. Something to take place in our hearts and lives. Because there is something as a result of our sinfulness that we need to be saved from. Something we need to be saved from. Uh, if you would, look with me to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, the church at Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
Turn there with me for just a moment, if you would. Before I even read this, let me just remind you of something that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the, uh, the Christians at Rome in his letter to the church at Rome. About verse 18 of chapter 1, the Apostle Paul made it very clear by saying that the wrath of God, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Look with me now at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8. Through 10. <clears throat> For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The wrath to come. What do we need to be saved from? We have a problem. That's why we need salvation. We have a problem. Our problem is that we're alienated, separated from God, dead to God because of uh, of sin. Uh, but what do we need to be saved from? Uh, well, we need to be saved from our sin, don't we? We need to be saved from our sin. Isn't that what uh, uh, the angel said to Joseph before Jesus was born when he appeared to him? You remember what he said? Uh, came to Joseph there in Matthew chapter uh, 1 and, uh, and told Joseph uh, Mary was going to have a child going to have a son. That the Holy Spirit would come upon her and she would be with child. And that child, he said, the angel said to Joseph, you must call Jesus. You must call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. So obviously what we need to be saved from is, is our sin. But... Uh, Paul is telling us here that uh, in 1 Thessalonians that, that we need to be saved or delivered from the wrath to come. The wrath to come. God's wrath. God's wrath. Uh, and the reason for that is because the guilt of sin always brings the wrath of God if something's not done about it. And so, yes, we need to be saved from sin, but sin is just leading to an experience of God's wrath. Now then it's true, if we would go back to the Psalms, we could read in Psalm 5 that God hates all workers of iniquity. He hates all workers of iniquity. We turn to chapter 7 in the Psalm, I believe it's verse 11, and there we would read that God is angry with sinners every day. Every day. And that's what Paul meant when he said the wrath of God is revealed. It is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Every day God's wrath is, is evident be, be, by what happens in the lives of so many who suffer. 
Because of sin. Suffer because of sin. That's God's anger upon sin. God is not pleased with sin. He hates all workers of iniquity, the Scripture says. Contrary to what many would lead us to believe by saying God loves everybody. God does everybody. Well, not true according to the Psalms. Not true according to what God said through the psalmist. God hates all workers of iniquity. Psalm 5, verses 4 through 6, read about that. He's angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 7. Uh, now then, coming back to... Uh, well, let, let's turn to Colossians for just a minute before we come back to Thessalonians. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. Third chapter of Colossians, verses 5 and 6. Listen to what the Scripture tells us here. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. Uh, isn't that what Paul told the Thessalonians? That we've been delivered from? We who have become Christians, as he's describing these here in Thessalonica who are followers of the Lord Jesus, believers in the Lord Jesus, and, and states very clearly that they've been delivered from the wrath to come. And yet, as the psalmist says, God is angry, wrathful, with the wicked every day. So what's the difference here? What's, what's the difference between the wrath that, that men experience today due to God's anger uh, for, upon sin and the wrath to come. Well, there again, this is something else. Uh, the anger and the wrath that men experience in this world today, right now, pales in comparison to the wrath to come. The wrath to come. The wrath that men suffer and experience today is just a little foretaste of the wrath to come. Uh, back in the fifth chapter of this same letter to the church at Thessalonica, in speaking of the wrath to come, uh, beginning with verse 1, follow what Paul is saying here uh, about what is to come. He says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction. Sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. 
the wrath to come, the wrath to come. Far, far different than the wrath of God that's being experienced by many in the world today, isn't it? Paul talks about it even to a greater degree in his second letter to the Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, if you'd care to look at this with me. Well, let's just begin with verse 5 of chapter 1 in 2 Thessalonians. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those that afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because their testimony to you was believed. There is a wrath to come, a wrath to come that we must be delivered from. And so in reality, as Mr. Sproul was often heard to say, what we need to be saved from is God. We need to be saved from God, a holy and righteous God who hates sin, condemns sin, and has declared that His wrath will be poured out for all of eternity upon those who have not put their faith and their trust in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we were all at one time in that boat, folks. Every one of us. You and I, all of us. Paul talks about that in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2, where he begins by saying, And you were dead. You were dead. He's writing to these believers at Ephesus, to these Christians, just as that very word applies to us today. And you were dead in, in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, what? Children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. There was a time when we were all there. Oh, I tell you what, if you, if you need something, if you want to, as a believer, uh, to have something to be thankful for, this is it. This is it, the salvation of God. God's great and gracious salvation that has delivered you from the wrath to come because you trusted in a work that He did for you to save you from your sin. Because you put your confidence and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. The Word that became flesh and dwelt among us in order that He as a man might go to the cross as a substitute, as a, a sacrifice to die in the place 
of those who trust him and believe in him with all of their heart to pay the price for their sin in order that they would no longer be under condemnation facing the wrath of God for all of eternity. Oh, we have a problem. We have a problem. And our problem is that we are sinners in the eyes of God when we come into this world. And what we need to be saved from is, yes, our sin, because sin leads to an experience of God's eternal wrath if it's not removed, if it's not taken away, if we're not cleansed of it and pardoned and forgiven, we'll face the wrath of God that is to come. Oh, and then if we had time this morning, and we'll not take time to do so, but if we had time this morning, we could go on and and look at what the Scripture has to say as we consider this subject of salvation, why we cannot save ourselves why we're not able to do that which the scripture reveals to us he alone is able to do for us we need to know that these are things about salvation that are important that we recognize and there's so much more so much more but I pray that as we consider this matter of salvation by the grace of God salvation by the work of our Redeemer, our, our sacrifice on our behalf, our substitutionary sacrifice, the Lord Jesus, as we consider that these things, as uh, we look further into salvation, may our hearts be overwhelmed with thanksgiving that God has delivered us from the problem that we have when we come into this world. God has delivered us from his wrath that is upon our sin and our sinfulness. And let us be thankful for that. Uh, If you would, give some thought uh, in the days ahead to the sheet that I handed out. uh, There are some things here that will perhaps uh, cause you to dig a little deeper into the subject as we think about the subject of salvation together, like the promise, God's promise of salvation. Uh, Uh, the picture, or I I should say the pictures of salvation that we find all throughout the Scripture, the person of salvation, the plan of salvation, the purpose of salvation. It's so easy to lose sight of what the real purpose of salvation is because we have a tendency to, to think so much about ourselves and to be selfish. We lose sight of the real purpose of salvation. And we need to be aware of the power of salvation and and its progression as God begins a work in our hearts and lives and continues it. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, we can be confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun a good work in us will perform it or perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. God has saved us. God is saving us. God will save us as he continues to work in our hearts and lives. Think about these things and uh, and pray that God would just make more and more real to you as the day go, days go by this wonderful, great, and gracious salvation that we have in and through God and His Son, the Lord Jesus, and, and the work that He did to secure salvation for those who put their faith and their trust in Him. Let's bow our hearts together in prayer, can we?